on three, everybody cough. Yeah. All right, ready? One, two, three. Get out! All right, you know, I just did that because I needed to do it too. <laughs> that way I wouldn't get caught. Perfect. Today we're going to actually be talking about a man passing out tracts on a footbridge. We're going to be comparing Jesus to the flu virus, and we're going to finish with the excitement of what I guess I'm going to call friendship and family evangelism. Are we ready? All right, let's pray. Lord God, let the words of your servant's mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sights, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, looking a little bit at our word evangelism, it comes from this Greek word, it just means gospel or good news. And so, we, when we hear this word, my, my money's on the fact that we all, different things come to our mind. And so, I thought it would be actually worth, there's no right or wrong answer here. When you hear this word evangelism, what comes to your mind? Anyone willing to throw something out? Kids. Huh? Kids. Okay. Okay, good. Andrew, I saw a hand. Oh, I was going to go back to the day. Jim and Tammy Bay Baker. Okay. <laughs> that was a timid hand for you, by the way. Usually you're just right out there, but I kind of saw this. Yeah, all right. Any other? What other thoughts come to mind we hear this word? Anything else? All right, so we are a little, we're all only three things, but we are all over the place. <laughs> That's good. That's kind of what I thought. Um, there are actually a bunch of different forms of evangelism out there. Everything from like, lifestyle evangelism, where we live the right way and we hope that people take notice of our lives. There's servant-style evangelism, where we emphasize showing Christ's love to others, um, which might create an opportunity for further sharing. There's, like, I guess, big event evangelism, where you hire a big-name speaker, invite your friends to come hear them. Uh, My favorite, door-to-door. Yeah, I always love those. And not to mention things like, we didn't say this, but like street corner yelling, that used to be a big thing. Back in the day, you don't see it as much anymore. Um, it's funny, I used to go to a Christian conference once a year where people picketed it and said that all the people were going to hell. It was really strange. Um, but that is a form of evangelism. It used to be very prevalent. You see it all the time. Not as much anymore. Maybe you go to the Laker game or something, you see someone still doing that kind of stuff. Uh, also, we have some passing out tracks, right? And so over Thanksgiving weekend, we were in Las Vegas for a basketball tournament. And we were walking around the Vegas Strip. I actually took note. I was thinking about all the different evangelistic styles that were in action on the Strip. But one guy stood out to me. And so there's a little bit of a risk talking about this one guy. I don't know him. But I'm going make to some, make some assumptions and some comments and then I'm going to hope I don't get myself in trouble. Um, but I walked by this guy many, many times, right? And while we're walking around, and what I noticed, he was kind of posted up on one of those footbridges and he had a walker. Um, and he was seated on the back of this walker, and he sat there for hours and hours and hours, and he just sat there with his hand outstretched. And I walked by, and when I watched this method of evangelism, he really made me think. And so in his outstretched hand was some piece of paper, some track that he was hoping that people were going to take from him. And what I couldn't help but noticing about this particular man was this emotionless facial expression. There was no excitement, There was no smile. There were no pleasantries exchanged. Seemingly, when I walked by him at least four, five, six times, no joy. And so in multiple trips by this guy, I didn't see him interact with anyone. I didn't see a single word spoken. And not terribly surprising, I didn't actually see anybody take 
one of the tracks out of his hand. It got me thinking. I couldn't help but ask myself some questions when I was starting to think about this. You know, what was the reason for the lack of joy in this job? Why was this job such drudgery, having to pass out these tracks to total strangers? You know, like, if, if this is what it really got me thinking and it's going to relate to what we're going to look at today. Was, uh, you know, if the gospel is really good news, then why the long face? Why the lack of interaction with people? And I couldn't help but notice, too, that seated right next to this guy were a number of homeless brothers and sisters. And here's this guy holding out his hand with a piece of paper in it, you know, and I just couldn't help but ask some difficult questions. Like, was this almost looked and appeared to me like, was someone forcing him to do something against his will? You know, were there boxes that needed to be checked? I wish I knew the answers to some of the questions that just popped into my mind. And I admit it makes me a little nervous sharing these observations. I don't know this guy, right? I don't know what God's put on his heart. I could easily be wrong with him. God could smite me with a heavenly lightning bolt um, for my insensitivity to the u- unique ways that God works in the world, right? But when I read the text today, all I could see was this guy's face, emotionless face, with the joy that I see in the first disciples sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with family members and with friends. And this is the contrast that I had in my mind when I read this. And so for people that know me, I'm actually, by nature, I'm a pretty introverted person. I don't like a lot of attention. Uh, But God has a sense of humor calling an introvert who doesn't like attention to regular preaching. So even though preaching forces me to be something other than what I would normally be by nature, I still, for me, find it to be one of the most exciting parts of my week, even though I don't relish and love being in the spotlight, I still get excited about these opportunities to share these things that God puts on my heart. Because to me, the good news is exciting. It gets me out of bed in the morning, puts a smile on my face, and these are the things I was thinking about when I read this text from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. And as you hear these words, ask yourself a couple of questions. What evangelism, evangelistic methods, what do you see present in this And do you see excitement and joy? Or do you see drudgery and box checking? I'm curious. It goes like this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you come to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under a fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's the word of the Lord. And so the thing to know about this passage is just before what we just read, Jesus calls his first two disciples, Andrew and then Andrew's brother, Simon, whom Jesus renames Peter. 
And so Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist. John had rightly pointed Andrew to Jesus. And when Andrew met Jesus for the first time, the question that he asked them was, he said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus used these three words. He said, come and see. That was Jesus's invitation to Andrew. Come and see. Andrew does come and see. He spends time with Jesus. The first thing he does after that, he runs home to tell his brother that he's met the Messiah for himself. And so what we see here, we see what we call family evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with the people that are closest to us. We can sense the excitement with Andrew running to tell Peter one Disciple becomes two disciples, and that's how the church is born. Now, right to place what we just read, it says the very next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. You've got to ask yourself, why does Jesus decide to go to Galilee? I think the answer is because Galilee is the place where Jesus would find Philip. Philip, it says, was from Bethsaida, the same city where Andrew and Peter are from. Is this an accident? Rarely in Scripture are things an accident. So I can't prove it, but I believe that what we're seeing is this natural progression of evangelism right here in this detail that most people just kind of gloss right over. And so we're left to ask a couple questions like this. Did Andrew and Peter tell Jesus that they had a really good friend from their hometown that they wanted Jesus to meet? Maybe. And if I'm right, we see family evangelism move naturally into friendship evangelism. Jesus goes to Galilee to find Philip. And when he finds him, he invites him. He says, follow me. And so Philip is so excited having met Jesus that he runs off to tell Nathaniel, you see what's going on here. Someone gets so excited after meeting Jesus that they have to run off and tell somebody else, right? This is what's going on. And so then when we get to Nathaniel, this is where things change. The excitement about Jesus kind of comes to this temporary reaching halt, right? Philip He's fired up about Jesus. Nathaniel's a lot, uh, quite a bit more skeptical. He's like, you mean Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth? You know? He's like, no way. Nothing good can come out of that podunk little nothing of a place. And so Nathaniel, he actually knows his Bible, right? He knows that in the Hebrew Bible, where Nazareth is never mentioned. And so you even look at first century Jewish Historian Josephus, who mentions all these tiny little Galilean towns, he never once mentions Nazareth. Nazareth is like the nowhereville, all right? So what good can come out of this little nowhereville type of a place? And so Nathaniel wants to know, can anything good possibly come out of this backwards little place? And this is, I love Philip's response. Somebody asks him a question about Jesus, and he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't even try to prove anything about Jesus. He's so confident that Jesus of Nazareth is really such good news that he just responds with the same three words, come and see. The same three words that Jesus used to call his first disciple, come and see. He tells Nathaniel, look, come and have a look for yourself. And so he invites this skeptical friend, and together they go to find Jesus. Now, Jesus, he sees Nathaniel coming from a ways away. The first thing he does is he actually tells him something about himself. He says, ah, look who's coming, this Israelite with no deceit, right? And Nathaniel naturally wants to know, how in the world does this guy know who I am, right? And Jesus responded with, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Well, doesn't that clear it up? 
<laughs> I see people all the time. It doesn't mean I know anything about them. And yet that's all they took in the story. Jesus just says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And at first I read this simple statement and I really didn't get it. I'm like, why does Jesus having seen him under a fig tree, why does this change everything? Why does it remove all of this skepticism? Like, what's the big deal about this? And then I was, I was kind of thinking about this and I had this little aha moment, right? This Nathaniel, he's a smart, he's a smart guy. He knows that there's, you know, maybe he was on the other side of town. Did Jesus really even see him sitting under the fig tree? How does Jesus, even if he did see him, how does Jesus know anything about it? And yet Jesus had seen him. Jesus knew exactly who he was. And Nathaniel comes to realize that before he went looking for Jesus, what he realizes is that Jesus had already been looking for him. This is the realization that this guy comes to. Before his friend brought him to see Jesus, he's like, oh my gosh, this guy has been searching to find me. And it's this thought, I believe, that Nathaniel, it transforms him from this skeptical, almost rude to Jesus. If you look at the scripture, if you had a Bible open, which maybe some people do, he's almost rude to him. He doesn't even offer him a nice conventional title at first, like rabbi. He doesn't, he doesn't offer him any of those. And by the end, he says, he calls him son of God and king of Israel. It's quite a transformation right there. And so the thing that jumped out to me is this. Jesus is contagious in a good sort of way, right? And so when I was thinking about this story, the passing on from one excited person who meets Jesus to another, that Jesus is contagious. Like, for those of us that had some kids around the house, the flu, you guys have it yet? All right. Like, when our kids were younger, when one person got it, it just meant that most likely all of us were going to get it. No matter what we did, we'd do everything we could to prevent it. Katie would make us hand sanitize like 100 times a day. Um, we would clean everything, even the remote Clorox it with like all day long with those Clorox wipes. We tried the airborne's emergency. It didn't matter. No matter what you do to try to stop it, it is highly contagious. Jesus, too, this is what this passage shows us from before what we read to where we read that Jesus, too, is highly contagious. When one family member catches Jesus, the whole family, the whole family's in jeopardy. That's what, that's what this text is saying. Our friends are in jeopardy. Our family's in jeopardy. Anyone who comes in contact with us should be in jeopardy of catching Jesus. This is what's going on in this passage. And yes, I just compared Jesus to the flu virus, and I'm digging the hole deeper and deeper as I go along. But I can't help it. It's fun. But I do think that's what it's saying. You know? And it's like, when we've met Jesus, when Jesus has grabbed a hold of our hearts, when he's changed our lives, when we learn who this Jesus really is, what he's up to in the world, how can we not be excited to want to share? Family and friendship evangelism is just this natural thing, and it starts with the thing that I think I find the most interesting thing, that come and see invitation. Come and see. We saw those words a few times. We simply respond to Jesus by inviting spiritually curious people, sojourner types, as I guess I like to call them, to come and see Jesus for themselves. But the key is that we bring them along with us to meet Jesus. That's what we see here. This is how the kingdom of God grows one person at a time. So the thing I was thinking about, like, do we know spiritually curious people? If so, maybe we consider a come and see type of invitation. If someone comes to mind, 
Maybe we'll keep them and hold them there just for a few minutes because I think the best is coming last, right? When we consider this important thing, that Jesus finds people. Jesus finds people. We're not the only ones that are out looking for people. This is the thing that just jumps out at me, that Jesus is already actively trying to find the same people that God maybe just placed in our hearts and minds. Now, in Jesus' day, we know something about how disciples and rabbis worked. In Jesus' day, disciples of a rabbi, uh, the rabbi would actually, kind of students would apply to be disciples of a rabbi. If the student was good enough, if they were worthy enough, the rabbi would take them on. And these disciples would follow the rabbi around, learning everything they could. Jesus does it completely the opposite. He does it completely backwards. He's the only one that I know of that did it like this. Instead of having disciples line up and turn in their applications, like we typically go out and find a job, Jesus actually went out and he found his disciples. He actively went out looking for his disciples. It's an important distinction because it says to us that we don't bring Jesus with us to a person or a place. Jesus is already there. This is really, really important, especially in a new missional church. Jesus is already there, actively at work. This is something that we can count on. God is actively at work in the world, and that's the meaning of the strange ending of this text, right? Jesus tells Nathaniel that he's going to see greater things, and he ends with this strange thing about the heavens opening and angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. It should sound a little bit familiar if we know the story of Jacob, Jacob's ladder. If we remember that, we actually, I think we preached that this summer. The point of Jacob's ladder story shows that God is active, not passive. That heaven and earth are joined, that everything in the world is sacred and holy for the simple reason that God is present everywhere. And Jesus says, you're going to see these things, the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, a reference to himself. In other words, that God is already present at work in our world in the person of Jesus. And Nathaniel's going to see a lot greater things than just Jesus knowing who he was. That's what Jesus is saying. The gods that work in the world even when we're asleep. And so God has already come to be with us, to be for us in Jesus. And the question for us might be something like, you know, what is God up to right now in the world today? When we look around, what is God up to in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces? And how do I fit in? How do I respond to God who's already at work? How do I join with God in extending this type of a come and see invitation for someone else. And so I could still see the emotionless face of this guy on the footbridge that just had his hand extended. I could be wrong about it. And the truth is, I really hope I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong about it. But the story reminds me that Jesus is good news that changes lives. Good news that changes lives and transforms the world. To me, that's something that's worth getting excited about. But the truth is, it's challenging. This is hard. It's hard for me. So I'll share a story where I think I failed to live up to exactly what I'm talking about. It was a couple months ago. After 20 years of being my own barber, I finally decided that I was going to go to a professional. And so what I learned was that Gabriel, the guy that I went to, he's better than me. Shocking. <laughs> His mastery of the scissors, the clippers, the blades, this is like stuff that I can only dream about, right? And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to go to a professional. I wanted to try to study his techniques and steal everything I could. 
Um, but when he realized that, and I told him that I cut my own hair for the last 20 years, he turned my chair away from the mirror so I couldn't see what he was doing. <laughs> uh, he was just messing with me because he knew I was trying to steal stuff. Um, and then as I was sitting there in the chair, he asked the inevitable question. So what do you do, right? And so for people in this profession, um, this is like, it can go a couple of different directions, right? Um, sometimes it's great, it's the greatest thing in the world, and sometimes it's like an absolute showstopper. I don't know, Jen, like if you've ever had this happen. Um, I told him I'm a pastor. He's quiet for a while, which usually means the pastor was not the answer that he wanted to hear. Um, and so I fully expected him just to stop talking to me, right? Um, and that's what happened. He did stop talking to me. And I thought that that had not gone over well. But I actually went back a couple months later. Um, I tried a haircut in between. It didn't work out so well. Um, I had to go back and have him kind of redo it. And when I went back, what I learned that he was actually, he was ready for me. All right? He's, he knew my name that came up on his thing. And he was ready for me when I got there. And so he took full advantage of this opportunity to fire at me a couple scenarios that he wanted me to answer, right? And so he's whispering so quietly, seriously, over the quivers, I could barely hear him. He didn't want anybody else to hear what he was going to say. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. I knew it was going to be good. And it is good. And here's, I'll give you one of the scenarios. If a really bad person, someone who hasn't been living their life for God, Someone who's killed and hurt other people. What if this person gets shot? And as they're on the floor, and this is, I'm not joking, okay? This is his burning question. As this person who's hurt other people is bleeding out on the floor, in that moment, they come to confess their sins. They ask Jesus for forgiveness. His question was, will Jesus forgive them? Right? Now, this is the burning question that he wanted answered. So I'm like, I am floored. By this scenario. I'm totally taken off guard. No pleasantries. No small talk about the weather. Not asking me what I'm going to do for the holidays. Just straight to this question that he wants to know about Jesus. Now, I was already, if you ever sit under those plastic things, I hadn't been under one in a long time. I was already sweating bullets. When he asked me this question, I, man, I swear, I thought I was going to have a heat stroke. Um, I gave this answer that at the time I thought was like an honest and authentic answer that Jesus knows us, Jesus knows the sincerity of our hearts. So naturally, Jesus would know if this guy's confession was an honest one. And that was something like that, you know? And I wasn't wrong in my answer, but after some reflection, actually that afternoon I was on my way to my small group, and I don't remember Chad, I don't remember who it was, but we were talking about this. I don't know if you remember this. You know, and, and we were talking about it in my small group, and I, after I left kind of processing this, I was like, you know what, I think I might have just missed an opportunity, you know? Um, I gave a nice, what I thought was an honest theological answer. But here was this spiritually curious man, probably a skeptic like Nathaniel, with an unusual, but it was a sincere question. I tried to give this theologically correct response. To be honest, like it was so loud in there. It was one of the most awkward moments. I mean, it's just hard to explain. Um, but what this guy needed, I don't think it was good theology. You know, I don't think that's what this guy needed. As we reflected on it and talked about it, I kind of came to see that what this guy probably needed was a come and see invitation. He wanted to know something about Jesus. There was an opportunity right there. And I think I missed it. 
And so after I read this, I kind of was taking a look at this story. I'm now convinced that, you know, Jesus, he was already at work in this guy's life between the haircuts, all right? Between the time when he asked me what I did and then did not talk to me again. Three months later, two months later, whatever it was, he couldn't wait to ask that question. He skipped all the pleasantries. He went straight to it, didn't want people to hear. And I think I missed that opportunity. And I think what I learned was that this guy, this guy probably wants someone to be more excited about Jesus than he is about a good haircut. Can I get an amen? I think that's the truth. That he was looking for someone to be more excited about Jesus than getting a good haircut. Someone that would walk with him on this journey to find this Jesus who he's asking questions about. So it made me think, you know, I'm hopeful that I'm going to be given another opportunity with Gabriel, my barber, given another chance to show that I am more excited about Jesus than a good haircut, right? That's true. And so I'm going to have to wait a few more months because I did steal some of his techniques. I did this to myself this week. So it's going to have to wait a couple. I'm trying to go every other to save a little bit of money. Um, But I am going to go back. And this time, he was ready for me when I came back the second time. The third time, I'm going to be ready for him. And I will be ready to extend more of a come and see invitation, an invitation to walk with him uh, to find Jesus, whom clearly he's looking for. And so the come and see invitation, this is exactly, when you look at all the people in the story, right? It's exactly what Andrew and Peter needed. It's exactly what Philip and Nathaniel needed. Why is that? It's because it's what we all need. It's what the world needs. This invitation changes people's lives because that's what Jesus does when people Meet him. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us the joy of knowing you. Give us the joy of knowing you more fully. And help us, in our excitement for you, help our excitement for you to be contagious to others. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.